Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Today, we're going to be discussing the interview with the leadership team from the Paramount Schools. Joining me in the studio this week are my friends and fellow leaders, Cody Coleman and Molly Bowser. What did y'all think about the interview with the leadership team on Monday? I thought it was actually really interesting. They had a lot of really, really neat things to say about uh, hiring processes and stuff like that um, that are a little bit counterintuitive um, from what I imagine it being. And, and they, there's a really, a really cool vision that they have there, and I think they're doing a great job at it. And you actually had a few years as a teacher out of college and just have recently transitioned to another job, right? Yeah. So you, so some of this stuff you can kind of yeah. think back to your own context, absolutely, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's all, it all hit home. Uh, it, yeah. It hit really close to home actually. Uh, pretty much everything they were saying, I was like, wow, this is kind of impressive what yeah, they're yeah. doing here. If they're actually doing this right, then they're doing it. What did you think, Molly? I thought it was awesome. Just this a beautiful image of effective leadership development and leaders developing leaders. And it's, it's kind of weird because they're obviously their main goal is to teach students in this community, but they're developing leaders that like these, these characteristics, these traits are going to carry with them for the rest of their lives. And that's, that's just really neat to me. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's really interesting to hear how much leadership can affect the outcomes of a school, how leadership affects teachers, which, affect the students as well. It's a very interconnected system. And from the interview, really, it all starts with the hiring process. Right. And I think a lot of times, you know, obviously, when you're hiring someone, the hiring process is something you're focusing on. But that's not something that we think of usually as being kind of a make it or break it moment. Right. Usually. Right. I thought it was really interesting. Their approach was to ask character-based questions instead of competence based questions to get a feel for who the individual was rather than what they know because their thinking is if if they have the character that we're looking for if they have the values that we're looking for then we can build in the competence we can build in the skills but let's start first with the character and i'm wondering what has been your experience as you have interviewed for jobs as you're thinking back to those interviews once again i don't think that we really dwell on interview processes too much as people who have been hired either. It's like you you get in the door and you're on to the next thing. But when you've been interviewed for jobs, what types of questions have been asked and what was the process like? So the process for for getting hired as a teacher for me was almost the opposite of what Paramount is doing. Interesting. Which is really funny. Uh, You know, Paramount talked about not necessarily talking about curriculum or you know, what you know and how, how you know all that stuff. And they're talking more about, you know, who you are, what are your values, yeah. um, and getting to know you better. When I was hired where I taught, it was very much like we want to know exactly how you're going to lay out a lesson. You're going to – I gave a little mini lesson, and 
uh, did a few other things with curriculum and stuff like that. And then we spent like an hour after that, like that took 45 minutes, I think. And we, we spent another hour after that, just talking, mm. just like normal, small talk, getting to know each other. Are we going to be a good fit here? Um, and it totally worked out for me. It was an hour, 45 minute interview. Wow. I, I remember that very vividly. <laughs> you got to leave feeling pretty good about an hour and 45 minute interview though. Yeah, right? absolutely. Like I felt like I was like, Oh, I nailed that. And like, that was good. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was, it was, it was a fun time. I enjoyed, I enjoyed working there. Yeah. Molly. I actually just went through a job change, uh, three weeks ago. So I have fresh on my mind, the interview process. Okay. And, um, there were two interviews and the initial interview was with the owner of the company and she was, uh, very obviously going off a tried and true interview system process, whatever on, okay, so in this situation, what would you do? Or in the past, what projects have you worked on? What are you really proud of? And then in the second interview, I met with the man who was actually going to, I was actually going to be working with all the time. And he was all about character base. And honestly, he only asked me like three character based questions of like, yeah, so, um, what do you think about this? Or how do you handle this? And then he just jumped straight into like, what do you enjoy doing? Hmm. And what do you not enjoy doing? And specifically he was talking about work, but then he was like, I, I was having a hard time coming up with answers because I'm just a, I'm a people pleaser. So I was like, oh, I like everything. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> my, my biggest flaw is that I care too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. And, and uh, he was like, listen, you can say you don't enjoy doing dishes. And I was like, oh, if we're going to go there, let me just tell you. And it was so neat. It was the best interview I'd ever had. It was just the most relaxed and natural conversation. And I left with the job offer. As I think back to uh, a couple of the interviews I've had in the past, one of them for a job that I had a few years ago was with a panel of about eight to 10 different people. And it was actually a really enjoyable interview. And I kind of left knowing that there was a good chance that I'd get the job, but it was for a resident's life position at a school. And I can't remember all the questions, but I, I know that there were a number of situational questions because in that job, you definitely need to know how to respond in certain situations. You're going to have weird, random situations come up with right. a, a bunch of guys living in a college <laughs> dorm. You know, you just you need to know how to think on your feet and and be able to handle situations that you maybe had not imagined that you would handle. So I know there were were some there, uh, but it, it really I really did like their approach of finding good character and then moving forward and building in the competence from there. This idea of character-based questions kind of leads me into this idea of they look for a certain type of teacher for the school. So team-based, coachable, accountable. I think it's a good thing to consider what type of person we look for when we're developing leaders or even when we're bringing in new people into our own teams. So I just, I'm just curious to see what y'all would say. Would you see it to be valuable to define traits to be adding to your team? I definitely think it would be valuable to to define some traits, but I think if I'm adding somebody onto my team, I'm looking at their characteristics and are they coachable? Are they, you know, accountable? Can you do this? And for those things, I'm looking at positions for them as opposed to um, whether or not I'm going to accept them. Because I, I work with volunteers a lot, you know, at, at a church, um, and that's just kind of where... That's that's my biggest leadership role right now in my life. 
and I'm pretty much like, give me all the volunteers. So I'm I'm just looking at like, where can I plug them in specifically based yeah. on their characteristics yeah. um, and just kind of maximize their effectiveness in whatever place that they can be in. Because if they want to be there, then that's all I need because they're, they're bought in, they're, they're owning it. Um, and that's just kind of a baseline to start with. Yeah, I think a lot of times we actually have values in mind, even if we don't realize it. Uh, in, in a in a church context, you're probably looking for specific. You, you just mentioned it, actually. You know, you need people yeah. who are willing, who are bought in, uh, yeah. who have a similar vision. Right. And I, I think that we always have those things in the back of our minds. The question is, can we kind of draw those out to the forefront of our minds so that as we are trying to figure out who's the best fit, then we can be a whole lot more purposeful and make the decision because we realize that these people share the same values. Now, at some level for teaching at Paramount, you're going to have to have someone who has been trained as a teacher. You just don't need the right. person who is the best class performer. I really liked actually their their focus on not having someone who's too charismatic, right. but just having someone who is solid, who's committed yeah. to the values of the school. Yeah. Uh, so... I think I think that it's it's important to kind of draw those values to the forefront of your mind and to really when you when you're selecting make make a very conscious decision while also making sure that you have someone who is skilled either right. you know in education right, right. as a teacher yeah. on a worship team yeah uh, they actually know how to play the instrument that you right. want them or they actually <laughs> yeah. know how to sing yeah that makes Absolutely. a major difference it does but but assuming that you had a number of people to choose from right are you aware enough of your values that you can make a decision where you select the person who has the values most in alignment with what you're doing? I think that it really is important. Now the values may be different for different places. So it's not like you can just have three values, three of the values that were mentioned a couple different times in the interview were that they are positive, relaxed and solution based. And there's more, there's more to it than that. I'm sure. Yeah. But absolutely. you know, ha- having, having something, uh, a simple framework like that can be, very helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Something else that they talked about, and if they said it once, they said it a whole lot more than once, is talked about being coachable. Yeah. And that is, that's a really big deal. Of course, especially in the education world, that's like, if you're not coachable as a teacher, then you, you're doing it wrong. But this, this idea of coachability got me thinking, and I've always heard that I'm coachable, you know, like I've got friends that I've always heard like, man, you're really coachable. You're really, you know, yeah. you're like that. But I was wondering, what are the characteristics of a coachable person? You know, is it humility? Is it um, aggressiveness even? Uh, yeah. You know, are, are aggressive people coachable? Um, so that's what do y'all think about that? That's a great question. I have been told for the last eight years of my life that I'm extremely coachable by people who have coached me. I'm not entirely sure that there are like a set or baseline of characteristics that define a person who is coachable. I think it just takes a lot of stick-to-itiveness as uh, somebody in my life. He he's really says stick-to-itiveness is a word and I just don't <laughs> agree, but I think it takes a, a, a certain level of stick-to-itiveness. Like somebody tells you that you did something wrong. Oh, okay, what can I do to adjust it and then do it? And then I, mean, I, I do think it takes a certain level of humility of admitting that you aren't the best or you're not perfect and that you can get better. Probably a little bit of uh, positivity and go with the flow, which is not something that comes naturally to me, but it's something that I do when somebody's telling me I'm doing something wrong. Oh, okay, I'm going to roll with that. Let's do something. Let's get better. Um, let's keep moving forward. 
Yeah, and that that go with the flow mentality. I think that you can be someone who's very focused, or in your words, Cody, aggressive. Yeah. Someone who's really a, a go getter, and and may not be someone who's naturally quote unquote go with the flow, but still be very coachable if yeah. they see the the need to be coached. If they have that yeah. realization that they are at a certain place and they want to get to another place. Yeah, you got you got to find the person who can get you from point A to point B. And no matter who you are, if you want to get from point A to point B yeah. and you find someone who can get you there, yeah. if you really want to go, then you're probably going to do whatever that coach says. Right. I've found that it's really important for me to to trust that the person who is my coach or mentor or leader really knows what they're talking about, especially if I'm going to go all out. That That's important. So I do think that there is a lot to being coached. I think that the main thing is just the desire to actually right. go from point A to point B and, yeah. and, and get there and and be able to accomplish your goal. Beyond that, all sorts of stuff can can apply. But if you're not willing to change, then you're just going to have a difficulty being coached. That's true. So when you have joined organizations in the past, either as a volunteer or as an employee, have you found that the leadership has tended to give you responsibilities rapidly or slowly? And the reason I ask that is because the leadership team talked about how once they do hire people on, they make sure that they don't just give them everything at once, but that they focus on maybe one specific thing, get good at that, and then introduce new things down the line. And I really like that idea, but I'd be interested to know what your experiences have been in the past with working at places. Do you feel like other institutions, other organizations have done a good job of that for you to kind of help you get up to speed or has it felt like it's just everything at once? Yeah. I think every time I've ever had a job, it was just, they're like, best way to learn is to be thrown into the wolves and hope you survive, <laughs> uh, which, you know, it works. It's, you know, sometimes <laughs> if you, if you've got enough, uh, stick to it. Yeah. If you make you it know, through, if you make it and through, that, that maybe is part of the difficulty. Yeah. A lot of times like that's just, it doesn't too. So that's a thing. But like when I was, when I first started teaching, um, uh, I was expected to like have, you know, I had all the same responsibilities as every other teacher there, whether they'd been there for two or three years or 15 or 20, but I had a lot more sit downs with the principal to talk about, you know, that didn't sound like a good thing. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't necessarily, it wasn't always great. It wasn't always bad though. You know, it was a lot of times it was just a conversation in the hall or something to say, Hey, you're doing great at this one thing. Keep doing that. Yeah. But here's another thing we can do to be better. You okay. know? And it was a lot of, um, just a lot of feedback, a lot of times. Yeah. Uh, so that for that first year, uh, especially for that first semester, my principal was in my room two or three times a week. And then over time, you know, he kind of, he kind of backed off just a little bit. Um, so it was, you know, once every couple of weeks and then, you know, by the end of the year, he just stopped coming into my room. Mm. Uh, and like for that second year that I was teaching, I, I saw him like twice all year. And that was like for the like official evaluations that we get every year. Yeah. And, you know, and like I, I was doing my job. And he knew that I was going to do my job. He trusted me. And that's something he said in my first year. He said, if I didn't trust you to do your job, I wouldn't have hired you. And I was like, all right. That'll, yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. For me, that was as much as I needed to want to go do my job every day. Yeah. To know that I was going to be trusted to do my job. 
And I just knew that that was going to take a lot off his plate to know that his team that he built could be trusted to do what they wanted to do. Yeah, that's nice. Now, this is more a, a general question for the education world. Do people tend to do a good job in schools of helping to coach or mentor new teachers? Is that something that, that schools focus on, or does it really just depend from school to school and situation to situation? Um, I I can't really say to to every school um, how that works, but uh, definitely for the ones that I've seen that are succeeding uh, academically and as an organization, they absolutely have mentors. First-year teachers typically get assigned a seasoned mentor, uh, somebody that's been teaching for 10 years or so, uh, sometimes like five, um, but... It's somebody that they can look up to, to walk into their room and ask questions. Yeah. And boy, did I have a thousand questions my first year. Like <laughs> my mentor worked right across the hall. She was the, the team lead for um, our department. And like literally every day I was in her room saying, hey, what's uh, what's this thing? How does this work? Why, why do we do this? I don't yeah. understand this one thing over here. Uh, you know, how does this process work? A lot of times that was a thousand times was... How does this process work? I don't understand that. Um, and and my team lead was so cool. She always answered the questions and gave a lot of grace. <laughs> so much grace in that Much needed for that first year. Very, huh? very much needed in that first year. I know I got on her nerves, but um, it was worth it because um, in those next, those next years after that, it worked out really well. And I, I just totally knew what I was doing. I walked in every day very confident in, in what I was doing. And by the third by the third year, they were asking me questions, which was really, really cool. Um, they wanted my feedback. They wanted to know what I was thinking yeah. um, because they trusted me by then. That's awesome. Because I'd proven myself. Yeah. So that was cool. Molly, how about you? As far as when you begin working or volunteering at places, especially as you think back to the past, do you feel like you've been given responsibility too fast or do you feel like leadership has done a good job of working you into new roles and new responsibilities? I have always unfortunately come into an organization or a new role as, um, as people are going on vacation. Oh wow. Or as they're starting up and there's nobody else to do the work. Okay. So in one leadership role I was there from the beginning. Because I was there from the beginning, I did as much as I possibly could to make it easier. But there was like six of us doing everything we possibly could. So that was definitely in the wolves, trying to keep my head above water, barely keeping my head above water. Maybe my nose was up there <laughs> if I was lucky. And then in any organization I've ever worked for I've gone right as people were going on vacation. Okay. And I'm a person who thrives on overwhelming responsibilities, yeah. apparently, because somebody's on vacation this week and I've been there a week and a half and I'm doing all of his work already. And it just, I've, I've done well. I definitely wish that it was a little bit more gradual and I wish there were people asking me if I needed help or like, hey, I, I wish there were kind of like this administration, they kind of seem like a, pe a group of people that you could just ask anything of and they will give you an answer. Yeah. I don't think most organizations have that philosophy that there's an open door policy and that they actually mean it. They say it, they kind of mean it, but you never feel quite comfortable enough to ask questions. But I, I, I definitely, in my experience, I've always just been kind of thrown in there. Lots of responsibility. Well, and I, I, I do think you're right. It's, it seems like this is a, a very open leadership team. Yeah. And I'm excited to hear next week from the teachers at the school because they'll give us a, a really 
interesting behind the scenes perspective. It's easy for leaders to say one thing and their followers to think something entirely different. But also, yeah, I think there would probably be an open door policy, but the answers that you give and the input that as a teacher you're able to give uh, depends on your experience, how long you've been there and things like that. And that's, that's the, the great thing about that growth mm-hmm. into leadership and responsibility that, Hey, you're, you're, you're welcome. We want your input, but over time, as, as you show us that you can handle responsibility, we'll give you more. Mm-hmm. And that's one of those things in leadership. It's not a cut and dry thing. You really have to make sure that you're, you're paying attention to each individual follower and that can be a lot of yeah. work. But if you do that well and Absolutely. help people to develop in their own personal goals in their professional goals, yep. then, then what you get out of someone, what you're able to accomplish with someone is yeah. really impressive. Absolutely. So the final question that I want to ask before we get to our key takeaways is Scott Fry warned against looking for charisma instead of going for substance. And so for a second, think about some of the the leaders that you've had in your own life. And, you know, obviously the way I'm asking the question, the right answer is, you know, substance is better. But as you think back to leaders in your own life, what has been the balance between charisma and substance? Because charisma attracts us to people. Yeah. But substance is really, at the end of the day, what matters. So what has been the balance between charisma and substance and the leaders that you have appreciated and who have influenced your lives? Some of the best leaders I've ever had in my life, I always knew that I could count on just to be there. They were very much the substance kind of people, um, the ones that walked in and did their jobs every day. But to attest to charisma, they were just super passionate about what they did Okay, every single time. And through that passion came charisma. Um, so it wasn't all just super flashy, super, you know, blah all the time, but you could tell in the way they held themselves, the way they talked about what they do. Yeah. It was never a negative thing that they had to go to work or to go do this one thing that they were doing. It was always like, I'm going to get to do this thing. We've got problems. We've got issues that we need to solve, but I'm going to solve them. Um, and that's very much the substance that. You know, I'm just going to show up and I'm going to solve the problem. But they were passionate about it. And the charisma followed that passion as opposed to just being charismatic about it and and not really having substance behind the charisma. That's a good word. Molly, how about you? I think that I've had uh, some lesser great experiences with leadership in my life. There's only been a few really awesome leaders with a healthy balance of, Hey, I really enjoy being around you because you care about me. Like this, this administration, they talk about how they genuinely want to make their team feel valued. And I felt that by very few leaders in my life where they actually cared about my life. And and then not only that, but they would, they would be looking to help me in whatever role I was playing. And then most of the time I find that there's lots of substance, but very little charisma when I compare the leadership that I've had that has been largely substance, very little charisma, and compare them to the people who have a healthy balance, okay. I wish that these people had more charisma because it would make it a lot more enjoyable to be around them because I just don't feel like they care about me necessarily. Hmm. I know they care about their job, but I know they care more about getting it done than doing it well. Well, hopefully with 
the listeners of this show, there will be people that, that hear these types of things and think about their own lives. Do I have charisma? And if I'm not if I'm not a naturally charismatic person, how can I use the things that I'm passionate about to attract people to what I'm doing so that we can accomplish the goal together? And for those who are all charisma, no substance, to really realize the importance of, of having something that keeps people there. Yeah. Because once people get to know you, uh, they'll realize that you're not quite who they thought you were, especially if they had admired you significantly. <laughs> yep. you, know, you, you, can, you can only keep up facades for so long. And so have that, have that balance between, between substance and, I really like, Cody, how you put it, passion yeah because that passion will will look a whole lot like charisma but mm-hmm. be a whole lot more meaningful let's go ahead and go to our key takeaways for the day what are some things that you think listeners should really take away from this episode with a leadership team from the paramount schools be coachable okay be constantly looking to be a better leader and be looking to coach others that i mean that they talked about it a lot but be coachable yourself. Don't just look for people to coach. Be looking to be coachable yourself. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I got a couple things, actually. Um, one of the things we, we didn't really get to talk about much this week that I really liked was that overall, the administration there all basically said the same thing. Every one of them had the same, like, four or five things to say throughout the interview, um, which kind of shows that they all have the same vision and the same structure for growing leaders. Um, and I think that is one of the most important things in any organization is to all be going in the same direction and not arguing about nitpicky details like that. So that's one thing, obviously being coachable, um, as a person is a huge deal, but having structure in your organization is I think even, even a bigger deal. Yeah. And I have three takeaways. My first is to know what you want and need before building a team, because if you know what you want and need, your ability to build an effective team and the team that is able to accomplish what you want to accomplish will be a whole lot easier. The next is to be open to changing directions. And we didn't get to speak about this in the interview either, but Scott was talking about how they started off a certain way, kind of oh, more yeah. charisma based. Definitely. And with within the first two or three years of the school, they were not having the effect that they wanted. And the yep. state of Indiana was on top of them. And they had to admit that something needed to change. Yeah. That ability to admit that you're wrong or that what you thought was right is not accomplishing what you wanted. That ability to realize that, to admit it and to change directions is incredibly important yep. and very hard. And my final one is to go for substance over charisma because that is going to have a whole lot more lasting power than someone who has charisma but doesn't have any substance behind them. Well, Molly, Cody, thank you so much for joining the podcast this week. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks for joining the show this week. I hope you learned something new and feel more prepared to take leadership in your own life to the next level. If you found this content valuable and would like to help out the podcast, here are three things you can do. One, subscribe to the podcast so you'll get new episodes each week as they come out. Two, share this episode with someone you think could benefit from it. And three, give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes or wherever else you listen to podcasts. All three of these actions will help to make it easier for others to find us and join the community. You can never have too many good leaders, right? Until next time, keep living and leading well.
Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well.